0: Okay, all flight controllers, going to go for landing. Retro. Go, go. I don't know, go. Nice, go. GNC, go. Econ, go. Control. Go. go. Ninth Planet Audio.
1: Capcom, we're go for landing.
2: Welcome to Lead with Kindness, our podcast where we talk specifically about how fostering and teaching and modeling kindness is not only the right thing to do, but really good for business. We'll get you better profits, better results, better performance, better advancement, whatever it is that does it for you, kindness is actually the way. I'm here today with Akima Brown and Brad Marquez, and I'm so pleased to have them with me because we're going to talk about bullying not because either of them are bullies, but because they have worked in situations where they've experienced aggression or seen aggression and really come up with strategies to defuse it and de-escalate and change the culture significantly where they came from. Brad was not only a talented writer and producer on Tom Swift, where I worked with him as well as on The Gifted, but came from animation and video games. He was the animation director for Riot Games, a worldwide company with – um. 2,000-plus people working on projects. He was directly responsible for 30 animators. Akima has started an initiative, a nonprofit called Real Families for Change, and I'll have them both talk more about what they do separately. But we had um, a New York Times article to look at as the subject of bullying, and it was kind of like this study where these baboons, they lived on a trash heap. The alpha males never let the beta males eat or do anything, and then all the alpha males who were hoarding the meat— got food poisoning from this poisoned meat, and all died. And then the beta males (laughs) took over, and suddenly this group of baboons behaved in this very humane and collaborative way. And astonishingly, as the beta males kind of aged out and were no longer in the group, this culture persisted. And so I asked Brad and Akima to read this article and give me their thoughts. Who wants to go first? One of the things that I think is really
1: telling about this, that it's really true that this is how it works. And we'll talk a bit more about this later, I'm sure. But what we find is that people who emulate or who embody rather kindness and are generous tend to leave a longer lasting impression. People who are more aggressive and, <laughs> and harmful, even though they may persist for a time, it does eventually burn out and die off. And so I just thought that this was a perfect example of how this actually plays out in a traditional setting where kindness is the thing that's going to last longer because it's very similar to how Maya Angelou said. You know, it's about how you make people feel. They may not remember what you said, but they remember how you made them feel. There's a feeling that persists with kindness that is going to last longer and is going to kind of stick. And of course, we don't want to call people in the workplace baboons, but... But there there is something there with regard to you know how we as mammals and and social creatures tend to identify and, and work with one another. So yeah, I thought that was I thought it was really cool.
0: Yeah, I took a more philosophical approach to this because each industry, each thing that we all do is very much different and the rules don't apply across the spectrum. but the primal instinct of the alpha baboon <laughs> to do this as I giggled away reading it <laughs> is to do that. Because in the baboon's mind, I must protect this horde, I must do what it takes to be the best, strongest fighter in case another baboon comes to take my space, and so I will eat everything. And then this happened. Never waste a good crisis. In this situation, there was a crisis: alpha baboon, and I know I happen to know a lot about monkeys. It's a weird. <laughs> <laughs> this article was great because I love that whole uh, everything about gorillas and monkeys and whatnot. This crisis happened. there was no leader, and the betas came up. They all figured out a way to do it together. Mm-hmm. in harmony, right, mm-hmm. in that way. And so in this situation, I also thought it was a great example of how that particular primal instinct in that uh, baboon did mm-hmm. not work. And what isn't a primal instinct for beta baboons, which is to figure out a way to do it all cohesively without a leader, they figured it out, mm-hmm. right? And that's what strong teams can do if they are given a chance to do it.
2: hmm right. I, uh, I'm uh particularly interested in talking about bullying because it's kind of the thing that comes up when I speak to other writers, especially like on the picket lines. We all shared experiences of toxic rooms, but it frequently the headline was bullying, mm-hmm. whether it was somebody who was very manipulative, very angry domineering, controlling. I mean, this is just off the top of my head, Again, you know, the kinds of behaviors you see from leaders, but also in passive aggressive ways, just mm-hmm. not giving you information, not being transparent. You would find out something like pretty humiliating on a professional level from a colleague and like, oh, not only is that like quite the shot across the bow for me, but also I had to find it out this way. They didn't have the, you know, wherewithal to tell me to my face kind of thing. So Akima, When you were giving me your notes about addressing bullying behavior, I was speaking more specifically about like aggressive behavior, but just kind of globally, how do you address bullying in the workplace?
1: I love this question. So one of the things that we do with regard to bullying, and I say we meaning Real Families for Change, but I personally will be very honest. I have failed <laughs> substantially. And I think this actually has informed some of the way that that we work now as an organization. I individually and personally, having been the recipient of bullying in the workplace, often took it upon myself to be kind of, I don't want to say to reciprocate that behavior, but finding ways to kind of protect myself very much like what Brad was saying. And so what we try to do now is really teach people how to slow down and how to assess the situation and and get a sense of what is actually happening, make the best possible. They can take the best possible action, things that are going to have longer standing benefit versus uh, some of the things that I did, which, you know, if you want to know about, I'm happy to share. But what someone has said to me that I do now, which I think is really cool, is she said, you know, you're aggressively kind in these spaces when you're encountering a bully in terms of helping people to identify what is the beneficial outcome that we want and not taking no for an answer and getting to that and taking the necessary steps. So that can look like intervention, that can look like teachable moments, that can look like having someone with more perceived power or authority coming in to talk to the situation. But our goal is always trying to figure out how do we get to a place where people don't feel de-energized and demoralized in the workspace. And so that starts first by really slowing down, not being immediately reactive so that you can kind of figure out what might be the best possible tactic to employ in this particular situation. And each situation is different. right? So that's always key is, is recognizing it's not a one size fits all. Each situation is different and you, you have to kind of be very strategic about how you how you engage.
2: Right. Brad, and I love this phrase aggressively kind. We'll come back to that. But Brad, when you were working with animators and artists, like actual physical drawing artists, what sorts of behaviors did you see that you, know, you might qualify as bullying? Or
0: In that environment, a lot of it comes from, let's just say, really abrasive and harsh feedback. Mm. You can give feedback that's fast. That sucks. That's not what I wanted. Do it again. <laughs> right? You can also get feedback. You can spend a little more time on that feedback, give it the same, give it, yield the same result. Mm-hmm. Bullying is a side effect of a top down structure. Person of major power, at the top, leading a vision. The ways that I personally and we corporately, company-wise, even me in my life in all aspects, we just inverted the structure, bottom up.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Put the most powerful person on the bottom and go up. What happens in in the trickle-down situation, top-down structure, art director, animation director, whatever it is, the bullying, you see a weak artist, you let them constantly know. It just is a thing that can happen, right? That's what are examples of that. In a bottom-up structure, when the time comes for feedback, 360, and the machine, let's just say, the engine, the network, the studio, the the directors, board of directors, whatever it is, if they've empowered bottom-up, that feedback, the reviews of your quote-unquote subordinates, is weighted stronger than your own. Hmm. It drastically changes leadership.
2: Wow. So, what does that look like to get a review from a subordinate?
0: What does it look like, or yeah, how like do, how? how do you mean?
2: What was the process?
0: Oh, we would do we would do these really great anonymous kind of like a worksheet, and it was it was like a three hundred and sixty review where we would ask stri- strategic questions about you know what was your experience like on this project on the team the last six months. It, it really kind of depended for us. It would be what was your experience like on the first six episodes of the show, mm-hmm. whatever it is. We you stop gaps. Mm-hmm. Maybe you do them quarterly. Mm-hmm and those people anonymous would be allowed to write full review how they truly felt and those would all get curated and literally given to the showrunner the the boss the director the lead the supervisor whoever it is for them to read they themselves would have to take that and kind of like in another worksheet go heard this surprised by this i do have a fault here kind of admitting i do i am indexing high on like harsh
2: feedback. Mm, wow.
0: I think here's what I would like to do to change it. And I would love for you all to hold me accountable. Oh my gosh. Right. And you go, keep me accountable. It mm-hmm. was amazing mm. how many bees you got with that honey. <laughs> because they no longer looked at big bad monster boss. They kept they looked at person who's actually trying and, and realized that they also felt empowered, the mm-hmm. quote unquote subordinates. Right. Um, and then the leader got to grow. Right. In a lot of our situations, the best leader Mm -hmm. is not the best creative. Mm -hmm. The best creatives are not the best leaders. Mm -hmm. You have to figure out a way to bridge the gap.
2: Man, that's awesome. I love that. And Akiva, going back to aggressively kind, you know, does that term apply to anything that Brad just talked about? or, Or what is aggressively kind?
1: I was called aggressively kind because what was said was that it doesn't always feel good when you are approaching someone in a space of growth. So I think that there I definitely think there is some overlap in that and what Brad is talking about in terms of having people come and tell you something and hold you accountable to it. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be harsh or that it has to be, you know, judgmental, but sometimes it doesn't feel good to be called into accountability. Sometimes it doesn't feel good, but we still ensure that we do it no matter what. Like we are going to approach this with a level of empathy and compassion and being genuine and sincere with the understanding that growth is the goal. And so no matter what, when we experience discomfort, we're going to sit in that. You know, a lot of times people think that the best way to move forward in kindness is almost an enabling capacity, where it's like, I'm going to make sure you feel comfortable the entire time. I don't want this to bring you any dis-ease at all. I just want you to feel good throughout the entire process. And that is kind. Um, And actually sometimes kindness is when you're telling someone the truth in love, you know, again, there's not, it's not a disrespectful space, but you're telling someone the truth and you're holding them accountable And you're bringing them to a place where they say, this is the area that I'm wanting to grow in. And you're holding them accountable to that, even if they try to run. And giving them the space to feel safe in that, but not letting them run, basically. And I guess that's where the aggressive part (laughs) comes into play, is that you're, you're not letting people run away. From the growth process, the accountability process, you give them a safe space. You make them feel loved. You make them feel heard. You you know you let them know yes you belong here. And if growth is your goal, you will get that goal. But you don't get to run away from it when it doesn't feel good. <laughs> so uh, that, that's okay. kind of aggressive kindness. And so I love this idea of the feedback, Brad, because I think there's an element there where depending on the nature of the structure and mm-hmm. the system, it might be aggressively kind to be.
0: And I can I add something to that? Because I love that. That first step, this is the step that is what creates the dam and never lets the water out. It's called when I approach someone to give them the feedback. Again, that always is a that's a weird one-way street. If we can change anything, the thing we got to start getting out the thinking of is ask. Mm -hmm. We need leaders, we need showrunners, we need supervisors, again, whatever it is. If they have to ask, we have to teach. You should ask how you're doing Hmm. because nobody wants to wake up and go, today's the day I'm just going to say it. Uh, That's the mm -hmm, problem. mm -hmm. It is so hard. It doesn't, no matter how huggy and lovable we can be, (laughs) the hardest thing in the world is to say the truth. We Mm. all know this. so much easier Mm. to lie. Mm. Oh, things are great, (laughs) right? Um, So we need to start instilling in showrunners, leaders, you have to ask. We want you to ask for the pain. Just go ahead and ask how you're doing. All right. That really is how we start a shift. Right. We got to put it on the higher ups, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And that all they have to do is ask. Because mm-hmm. if they ask, it's so much easier to say it.
2: Right. That's really true. You know what I mean? I dig that. And in and terms of enduring the pain or the discomfort, I know. And <laughs> I feel like you're uniquely suited to that, Brad, or unusually well suited to that because you used to be an MMA fighter. Yeah. <laughs> you want talk about that for just a second and, and then about like pain tolerance. Yeah. Well,
0: yeah. Oh, do you want me to talk yes, about Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, good people bring you happiness. Bad people bring you experience. This is the thing. In the world of combat sports or sports in general, there is a level of pain that you have to... You just got to ask for it, Mm -hmm. or you cannot ascend, Mm. okay? It might be someone yelling one more round. It might be someone, boy, you sucked today. You will get destroyed tomorrow. Mm -hmm. We always would say this, though. We bleed in the gym so we don't bleed in the streets. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's the end goal. If you can find a way to turn your family, your work family, your team, the situation, if you can make that feel like a gym, Mm you'll be more open to receiving the kind of brutal feedback or harsher cuts, quote-unquote, so that when it comes time to perform, you don't lose there. It's okay to lose in front of your team. You don't want to lose in front of the network, mm-hmm. the audience, right? right the gamers. Mm-hmm. So if that is another magic trick that has to happen within the development circle. Mm-hmm. We're all cramming together. We're all meeting this deadline. That mm-hmm. needs to feel like a space... We can fail fast, fail a bunch, fail Mm -hmm. early. And then when it comes time to shine, quote, unquote, like handing things to the network or whatever it is, we are all proud of the outcome. And we're not failing there. Mm -hmm. So we got to fail early. Let's get all of our licks in at the gym. Wow. Licks in in training. I
2: love that. That is so cool. And that kind of comes back to this idea that you raised, Akima. came up. You don't get to run away from it when it doesn't feel good. What are the Mm -hmm. things you say to people? Like if we could give folks listening a toolkit of phrases or actions or approaches to making somebody feel safe when they're about to be invited into this process of this is how you grow?
1: Oh, man. Yeah. So our key term at Real Families is definitely uh, space and grace. Mm. Um, <laughs> be flexible. <laughs> uh, there's quite a bit of compassion and accountability. I love what you just said about failure, because one of the things that we say is feel big, fail fast and fail often um, <laughs> because <laughs> failure is success in slow motion and so it needs to be a safe space for people to feel like failure is a learning process and so we do ask people when they're when they're coming into the space when we're inviting them into this kind of aggressively kind culture we ask them to be open, be willing to see things from a perspective maybe they never have before, because in doing so, it gives you the ability to create that environment kind of to Brad's point where we are coming together in the team and this is where we fail, being able to have what we call hard to have conversations. And when you can have a hard to have conversation with your team there, then it's easier for you to then go into this bigger space, bigger system, and be able to either launch those conversations or survive them. We really do try to give people language and operational practice that helps them to create a space in which they're able to build teams that that are able to come together and really support one another and help one another and be inclusive and progressive and forward-thinking, but also very productive. We find there's a lot of productivity when people feel like they're coming into a space where they're safe, they feel energized, they feel invigorated, they get to be creative. And to Brad's point, you end up with leaders who become more creative and creatives who do become leaders. And bridging that gap often does look like having the space to fail as you're learning to do either or.
0: Right. The title of the podcast is Lead with Kindness. I love this title for reasons you probably, I'm not sure if you knew you did, but at the end of the day, it's the intention matters the most out of everything, Hmm. right? If you wake up and you go, I can't wait to meet people cry today, it will be very known. (laughs) In your <laughs> feedback and how you even how you grace the room in the morning mm-hmm. when you wake up and go I'm, "I lead with kindness," the intention is always there even if it's like, "I think we might want to redo this scene mm-hmm. We know that you wake up every day with the intention to lead with kindness right that is what unlocks people
2: mm.
0: that is how you get more miles
2: right love what your brother's saying, and it seems that a through line is The practice part of it, like, you know, just practice a little bit every day, make it normal to try these things out, to fail, to ask for feedback, to receive feedback that's uncomfortable. And the more you get into the habit of it, like the process becomes the reward almost, or the process becomes much less painful at any rate. And I have a different hypothetical scenario, which is something that we come up against a lot on TV shows or more than I wish we did. Let's say There's a number one on the call sheet. There's somebody who is the star of the show, who got the show greenlit to series because they are the executive producer, because they even took an interest in this project. is the reason that 300 people have a job and it's on the air. But they are also a narcissist and a bully and a nightmare to work with. Verbally abusive, emotionally abusive, just psychological head games. They freeze you out one day. They are your best friend the next day. They behave badly in all kinds of ways. And the studio acknowledges all of this. They're like, Yeah they're a nightmare, but we're not going to do anything about it because we all know that they're the reason your show is on the air. This is what you were hired for. Go deal with it. And push comes to shove, we will pick them over you every single time. I've talked to people who have had this exact conversation with the studio about a star who was just that awful. And, you know, in other words, this hypothetical studio (laughs) explicitly admits that they do not have anyone's back because they'll always side with the bully. Mm-hmm. So what action items can we suggest to change the star's behavior when there's such a massive enabling influence who is supposedly your partner in this situation?
0: This is a little bit of a grenade. <laughs> because there are, there are actually two goals here. First, when you say, well, what can you do? When they say that we will replace you before the star, I, my answer personally is let them. Mm-hmm. In order to do dramatic shifts with people who do not wish to change, you have to look outside of fixing that that issue and move on to a new issue or there has to be a collective agreement of people to approach the the uh, the problem, I'm just say a problem, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a whatever it is, a budget, they have to collectively agree that there is one there worth fixing and then go to fix it. What happens when the showrunner who Really is in this situation that you outlined, not fully empowered really to do that much I mean, you're the showrunner, you're the boss. kinda you 've got a lot of bosses. Star Power can become your your boss, mm-hmm. even though you're the boss. Mm-hmm. In this situation, I think deeper questions have to get asked. if we, we have to start at some point teaching said studios, networks, actor, whatever it is, that that behavior leads to people walking. Mm-hmm. that's a controversial statement, but at some point, there is a tipping. And when I hear "lead with kindness," I'm like, spend that energy somewhere where the kindness can flourish and grow. I'm not saying people are not fixable. What I'm saying is situations might not be fully fixable. Mm-hmm. It, how many, basically, how many lives you want to burn to <laughs> fix this one thing? You might go through eight people like me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think I'm a force multiplier on a team. Mm-hmm. There's a certain point when I go, "Ooh, oh man, um, I'm going to go ahead and walk from this one." Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good I can do, mm-hmm. right? And so, how many of those? Those assets do you want to lose in this situation? It's a hard question. That's a That scenario keeps me up and I think about it all the time.
1: I think the first and foremost thing that we often forget is that we need to protect ourselves. You can't incite change. You can't be the change you want to see if you are burnt out, worn down, just completely annihilated and crying in a corner or a bathroom stall every day. And I actually have a friend who that was their reality. Mm. Um, And so it's, it's impossible. So to Brad's point, you do have to be in places and spaces that are going to fuel you and fill you to allow you to do
2: that work. It reminds me of, um, Let's say the window to my psyche is opening up again, and you were raised as a kid to feel like there's a problem in my family. I need to fix it. I need to be one to save everybody, because that's my role in life. And if I don't do that, I'm going to get kicked out of this household. Mm-hmm. And I think that some people who I've worked with um, share that kind of feeling inside. And so maybe— Part of the solution can be for people to have enough space and downtime to go to therapy and talk about like the impact this person's having on them and to feel like, oh, I'm not crazy. I'm not doing anything. This is actually not right. You know, what's happening is happening and it deserves to be addressed because we are professional adults working for money. (laughs) This is not like a charity volunteer bake sale thing for the school where you put up with all sorts of things because, you know, everybody wants the school to get some money for the field trip. And you just kind of like, it's a one-off thing. Mm -hmm. This is people's jobs and their livelihoods and their, you know, personal health. So I think it deserves being addressed. And it does frustrate me when I hear stories from my friends about how the studio will be like, yeah, I don't know. You know, (laughs) like that's the conversation. I can speak to
1: how we are looking to address this as an Mm -hmm. organization. Yes, please. And it it (laughs) happens, ironically, so very much to Brad's point, it's. A systemic shift and it's Mm -hmm. looking outside. Mm -hmm. We're looking beyond the show. We're looking beyond the room. We're looking beyond the individual. We're looking at the system that says that this is okay. Mm -hmm. And so we're really looking at the business case. What exactly is there to lose when, (laughs) um, and why is the studio saying that we, you know, that this is phenomenal? We have found that sustainability is actually a much better business case, taking Mm -hmm. care of your people, Mm -hmm. uh, being mindful of their outside obligations, ensuring that everyone does indeed feel heard, having a truly democratic decision-making process. Those things, they not only result in higher worker satisfaction and productivity, but even in terms of ROI, Mm -hmm. right? So we're, we're trying to get to the folks who enable the system and enable that kind of behavior and get them to look at okay, what's your motivation here? Mm -hmm. Is your motivation to make phenomenal content Great. Then you definitely want to look at sustainability and kindness. Um, mm-hmm. is your motivation a better, you know, profit margin? Great. Again, sustainability and kindness. Uh, is your, you know, are you looking to stay relevant? Um, mm-hmm. in terms of longevity? Great. Let's also talk about why sustainability and kindness is going to be key down the line because you have an entirely new generation of workers that are going to be coming in who are not going to put up with this. And you just have a worker shortage and no, pro- no product or production. So, we're really looking at the systemic shift that mm-hmm. has to happen and how do we infuse compassion, kindness, accountability, sustainability, you know, all of these things into the way that we work because mm-hmm. it, it, Unfortunately, it still is very much a Mm top-down effect, Mm -hmm. but then we also look at how can we empower folks who are in the room to either take a stand and say something? Because unfortunately, until there's a check in the system of who, like there's some checks and balances in the system around, hey, we're not going to allow this diva behavior We are not going to put up with this. This is what we expect of you. We're setting the standard and we're holding you accountable to it. We're going to be aggressively kind. Like this may not feel comfortable or good to you, Mm -hmm. but here is the universal benefit to the rest of our team. Mm -hmm. This is why it's essential. And this is why it needs to be done. And if it doesn't feel good to you, if it's too much to ask of you, if this is too much of a stretch, then perhaps you need to go elsewhere. That's what we're trying to get. That's that's what we're looking to make a business case for and get those folks who are, making the decision who typically enable this kind of genius tirade, <laughs> um, right. getting them to really have a perspective shift and understand how it benefits them and everyone else in their ecosystem mm-hmm. when they take a more sustainable approach and they and they lead with kindness, essentially. Yeah.
2: I love that. Thank you, Akima, for um, giving me a bit of hope. And then and it also <laughs> just reminds me like, you know, not only are you telling people kindness is profitable, but if we can make kindness prestigious, you know, like yes. back in the day when HBO was like everybody wanted to be on HBO or Netflix was so cool. No offense to HBO and Netflix now, but I think the you know, there are just more people in the field right now. Mm-hmm. And if you can make people want to work at a place that is kind, like their reputation is kind, wouldn't that be cool? I would like Absolutely.
0: that. Absolutely. It's a, What I'm hearing from both of you is our want is to fix it tomorrow,
2: mm-hmm. diva
0: person. But really, this is a culture shift that we can start now and we'll pay dividends later.
2: Yeah. This has been awesome, both (laughs) of you. I really appreciate you coming in and talking about all these really difficult, unsolvable in the moment, but maybe changeable over time situations that everybody deals with. And thank you, everybody, for listening to Lead with Kindness. I hope you come back next week when we're going to speak with two of the top level writers from the two shows that I was on most recently about the importance of work-life integration, which is a term I just learned from Akima. (laughs) Let's not talk about balance. There is no balance. Let's talk about work-life integration and how that is so essential for the health of your workforce. Thanks very much, everybody. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having us.